Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. Very, very excited to bring you today's show. I have had excellent feedback from you, my listeners, over the last couple of weeks about the first couple episodes of this series of five, The Vital Five. Now, what are the Vital Five? The Vital Five are the five supplements that I believe everyone can benefit from taking at least some of the time, but really all of the time in most cases, because, well, we are under a tremendous amount of additional stress nowadays that we just didn't used to be under. Our forefathers, as it were, weren't under. And I'm not just talking about emotional and mental stress of work and life stress like that, but also the physical stress of toxicity, pollution, genetically modified organisms, excessive use of antibiotics, and so on and so on and so on. The list is actually quite long as to why we have these issues. And uh, massive depletion in the soil, we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. So, so many reasons why we need to supplement. But, you know, I get this question all the time at Vitality Nutrition. What do you take, Jared? And uh, the answer is not necessarily that simple because what I take doesn't necessarily dictate what you should take. But there are certain things that I believe just about everyone would benefit from. And one of those things we're going to talk about today, minerals, specifically magnesium. We're going to go into some detail. I found some awesome research awesome research on magnesium, much of which I already basically knew, but some of it was news to me and really powerful stuff, especially if you're concerned about heart health. So we're going to talk about that. But of course, as is tradition, and as I have done ever since this show got rolling 10 years ago, I must start this episode with the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Yes, the morning rant. Today, we're going to talk about something that I cannot believe I haven't thought about until now. But thanks to the U.S. mail and a letter that I received in the mail this week from a company called Global Atlantic. I'm holding the letter right here. Uh, These guys are a life insurance policy company. And I have a policy with them. It's a new policy, actually. I switched companies not too long ago and uh, started a new policy. And they wanted to inform me of something I didn't even know existed in the first place. And that is that at the end of this year, what they called was the Ask Mayo Clinic service um, is being discontinued. What was the Ask Mayo Clinic service? Well, I didn't know what it was, but it had some uh, wellness kind of a thing to it. And of course, whenever insurance companies or uh, any type of modern medicine entity talks about wellness, they rarely actually mean preventative uh, maintenance. I mean, they might act as if they do, but that's not really what's going on in most cases. But this uh, Mayo Clinic thing, which I didn't know existed, sounds like it may have actually had some cool wellness uh, features to it, but uh, well, it's gone. Uh, 
So what are they replacing it with? They're replacing it with the Wellness for Life program, which they've got a registered trademark on. Uh, very impressive. And what does that mean? Basically, it means I get points. I get bonus points, which eventually lead to lower premiums if, over time, I prove one thing, that I get a physical on an annual basis. Well, technically, it says I only have to do it every two years. But a routine physical from my doctor, and that routine physical is the big, big magic thing. Uh, why? Well, I don't know. It's 2018, right? 2018, the very, very end of 2018 is we're recording this show on the 29th of December. And that is interesting to me because I was looking, well, let's put it this way. How do I, how do, let me go back. <laughs> I got the letter and I laughed and then I got sad and then I laughed a little bit and then I got sad a little bit because it's so stupid, incredibly stupid. And why do I say that? I mean, is that just me? Because, you know, I have this history with um, modern medicine that, of course, is, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan. I don't love to go to doctors. I don't know that anybody really loves to go to doctors, but I don't love to go to doctors. I try very hard not to go to doctors. I try hard not to use pharmaceuticals. And I uh, have a pretty good track record of not doing either of those things. But, you know, for 10 years, 10 years, I was a scout leader in some capacity. And every year of those 10, I went to summer camp. And in most cases, summer camp was a BSA, uh, Boy Scouts of America, you know, certified camp. We went to Camp Lowell up in Wyoming four times and went to, uh, or maybe it was three times. Seems like four. 400 times more mosquitoes than I ever want to see again. But regardless, I uh, went to Bear Lake a couple times to Camp Hunt, went to a variety of different camps. And as is required by BSA, uh, you have to get a physical in order to be cleared as a child or a leader, a scout or a leader to go to these camps. Well, when I was younger and uh, maybe... I don't know. I think I was more. I think I was less rebellious back then than I am now. I think I'm getting more rebellious by the by the day. But regardless, I uh, I'm going to admit right here on radio, I forged those stupid physical forms. I just couldn't see the point. I couldn't see the point in going in for a physical where a doctor is going to listen to my heart and touch me in uncomfortable places and then say, "Hey, you're healthy enough to go on a camp out." I just didn't see it. Didn't make sense to me. Maybe that makes sense to you. Maybe you think I'm crazy for forging it. Maybe you think I'm dishonest or whatever. Because technically, well, here's the deal. I was being dishonest. And the first tenet of the scout law is what? A scout is trustworthy. So I struggled with that decision a little bit. But, uh, you know, my uh, will to have liberty... Uh, over outweighed my will to be trustworthy to the Boy Scouts of America, I guess, until my sons became old enough to be scouts. And when that happened, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to teach them to be dishonest with the Boy Scouts of America. So we started going in and getting our annual physical. And it was as useless as I expected it to be. And guess what? Every time the doctor said, yeah, you got the green light, buddy go. So I'd go camping with or without the physical. And I can tell you this, I never felt healthier or more qualified to go with the physical than I did before the physical. I didn't feel safer. I feel like the best way to stay safe at summer camp is just to not eat the food that the scouts cook. But regardless, that's kind of my history. And back then I should have thought, man, this would be a great topic for a rant. But I didn't. And I think I'm glad I waited till now because just a year ago, last January, January 10th, 2018, specifically, Time Magazine put out an article that said, uh, and this is the very, 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 very brief version. The uh, article was called, You Asked, Do I Really Need an Annual Physical? It was written by Markham Heed or Hyde, I'm not sure which. And they basically uh, summarize, these physicals provide little, if any, benefit and could cause more harm than good. Bingo. 
But guess what is interesting? In 2003, 15 years earlier, we had an article from Gina Colata that I'm going to quote from heavily. Uh, Gina Colata uh, wrote this article, and it's really, really interesting. And this was in the New Yorker magazine, by the way. So, again, these are not from these are mainstream media sources. They're quoting doctors, uh, people from government agencies, no freako health shop guys like Jared St. Clair. We're talking about actual people that are in the know in modern medicine today. And here's what the article says. Checkups for people with no medical complaint remain the single most common reason for visiting a doctor. According to surveys by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in 2000, they accounted for about 64 million office visits out of 823 million. And uh, that is about $120 to $150 per visit, or up to $2,000 per visit for what's called the executive physical, which uh, many companies offer their top executives. And that tallies up to $7 billion plus dollars every year. Now, that was as of 2003. Of course, all of those numbers have climbed. But $7 billion a year on something that has no actual benefit? Hmm, interesting. How do we know it has no benefit? I'm this, I didn't write this article. I questioned this years ago. Uh, in fact, I would say probably around that same time, 2003, is when I was first being asked to get a physical to go to scout camp. Uh, yet, in a series of reports that began in 1989, so now we're going way back, right? Uh, oh, 30 years almost, and is still continuing. An expert committee sponsored by the Federal Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, an arm of the Department of Health and Human Services, found little support for many of the tests commonly included in a typical physical exam for symptomless people. It found no evidence, for example, that routine pelvic rectal and testicular exams made any difference in overall survival rates for those with no symptoms of illness. It warned that such tests can lead to false alarms, necessitating a round of expensive and sometimes risky follow-up visits. And even many tests that are useful, like cholesterol and blood pressure checks, need not to be done every year, it said, in reports to doctors, policymakers, and the public. So in other words, these are things that are being proven out and then given to all of the sources that need these things to be given to. This is Remember, this article was written in 2003, and it started back in 89 that they started saying, whoa, maybe we should not do this. And interestingly enough, do you know when this was adopted by the AMA, this annual physical thing? 1923, almost 100 years ago. And, of course, we call this modern medicine, but this particular practice, eh, not so modern, right? So what is the deal with these false alarms they talk about. Well, I've brought, a, brought it up on Vitality Radio before. The prostate, a perfect example. Most men now, if you live old enough in America, will get prostate cancer. Yeah, it's, uh, depending on who you ask, it's anywhere from 80 to 100% if you live long enough. Uh, prostate cancer. And so how do they initially determine if maybe there's an issue with the prostate is what's called the PSA test and it's part of a blood test or blood panel. And that is done generally routinely or has been. And then they see that the PSA is high and then they might order a biopsy. And if you order a biopsy and you have actually puncture cancer in the prostate, you can spread it into the lymph system and you can kill somebody who wouldn't have died of prostate cancer because while prostate cancer is easily the biggest source of cancer or type of cancer I should say in men it is not close to the highest killer in men because frankly it's not that deadly unless you disturb it and spread it to the rest of the body so this is why they say that maybe these exams actually cause more harm than good and the same could be said about mammograms mammograms are an interesting thing women especially women who have a uh, good reason to fear breast cancer whether there's a family history of it or they have the gene that uh, is said to be the genetic uh, predisposition for breast cancer they want to get their annual mammograms right but we know now that in Europe they're saying no not annual and not when you're 40 but when you're 50 because 
we're actually creating more stress and a higher potential for cancer by giving a mammogram, which is compressed radiation on the breast itself, which of course radiation can lead to cancer. It is believed based on the studies that every mammogram increases your risk of cancer by 1%. So if you start getting those when you're 40 and you're done when you're 70, that's an increase of 30%. That's not acceptable to me and I don't think it should be to you either, but in America, it's still the policy, even though most of the rest of the world has said, uh-uh, we're doing too many of them too often. So back to this whole annual exam thing. So what does the rest of the article say? Uh, first off, it says, but if the annual physical is largely obsolete, hardly anyone has gotten the message. Proponents of evidence-based medicine acknowledge that repeated tests like chest x-rays, electrocardiograms, rectal exams, pelvic exams, urinalysis, and blood work do occasionally find problems before symptoms emerge. But that does not make them necessary or even advisable, according to Dr. David Atkins, the science advisor for the Utah, Utah for the United States Preventative Services Task Force, an independent panel of experts that advises the Agency for Healthcare Research and quality. For example, Dr. Atkins said urinalysis can detect bacteria in the urine of 5 to 10% of women who have no symptoms of bladder infection. But when such patients were studied, it turned out that with, there was no difference in the outcome between women given antibiotics and those given placebos. No difference. Although the bacteria disappeared in most women's urine after they began taking antibiotics, they often came back after the drugs were stopped. In the end, just as many patients in each group ended up with symptomatic bladder infections, the only difference was that the group of women who took antibiotics early on had more side effects. So, my suspicion, and it's hard to find any evidence of this online, except for little bits and pieces like this, is that because we have more physicals, we have more drugs. And when we have more drugs, that makes Big Pharma happy and Big Pharma and uh, insurance, while they claim to somewhat be enemies of one another, uh, they don't behave as such most of the time. So I don't know exactly how this thing's going, you know, the tail wagging the dog or whatever. But what it boils down to is we have a procedure, an annual physical is being recommended, or at least that people are still doing. And we're going to get into more detail as to why this is still happening. And yet since 89, we've known that it was probably not just a waste of time, but a huge waste of resources and money and potentially creating more harm than good, including antibiotics that did not need to be prescribed to women who did not have symptoms and probably did not need uh, treatment in the first place. Other tests are uh, superfluous for other reasons. Feeling the ovaries in a pelvic exam is not a good way to find ovarian cancer, according to the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality and the American College of Physicians. By the time a tumor can be felt, the cancer is probably too advanced for treatment to help. Not finding anything is not necessarily reassuring because small tumors cannot be felt anyway. So, again, everybody being quoted in this article is on the modern medicine side of things, not the alternative medicine side of things. This all comes from them, and yet we're all still going to get annual physicals. Well, I'm not, but most people are believing that that is still a good practice, and why is that? Well, we're going to continue to read here. There's, uh, let's see, no need for a doctor to take out a stethoscope every year and listen to your heart, to thump your chest each year or look into your eyes, ears, and throat. Those time-honored procedures provide no medical benefit for the healthy patient with no symptoms, according to Dr. Paul Frame, a member of the task force who has examined evidence for these procedures. Many doctors do a careful physical exam on a patient's first visit to serve as a baseline. But on subsequent visits, groups like the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality say, Patients would be better off if doctors spent their time counseling them on such things as stopping smoking, eating a healthy diet, and drinking moderately, using seat belts, and having working smoke alarms in their houses. You know, you're not supposed to let a lot of dead air happen on the radio, but I did just then because that <laughs> seems so incredibly ridiculous to me. <clears throat> I'm going to read it again. Patients would be better off 
If doctors spent time counseling them on such things as stopping smoking, which the vast majority of Americans no longer do, eating a healthy diet, which the vast majority of Americans do not do, and drinking moderately, which depends on the American, using seat belts and having working smoke alarms in their houses, what does a doctor have to do with either of those two things? I mean, I think we have, no, okay, let me restate. We have come to the point where we're expecting our doctor to advise us on whether or not we should wear a seatbelt or have a smoke alarm. And, and why would a doctor, why would they even be involved in that conversation? It's, oh boy, healthcare in America, healthcare in America. Okay, so what would we really be better off if a doctor was advising us on? I'm cool with the first few things. Drink more moderately, uh, eat a better diet. How about getting more sleep? That's something a doctor could advise us on that makes sense. And I think a lot of doctors probably aren't mentioning that too much unless they're prescribing Ambien or Unisom or something like that. But could we get into more detail about things that would actually be useful for our health that are within a doctor's purview? I just don't see smoke alarms and seatbelts being part of that, but maybe that's just me. Some doctors say that even though they agree that these annual exams have little benefit and many of the procedures during those exams have zero benefit, they say it's hard to let go of procedures they have used for decades. Dr. Baron Lerner, an internist and historian of medicine at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons, says he asks patients to come in every year and always listens to their heart and lungs, does a rectal exam, checks lymph nodes, uh, palpates their abdomens, and examines the breasts of his female patients. It's what I was taught, and it's what patients have been taught to, to expect, he said, although he acknowledged he'd be hard-pressed to give a scientific justification for those procedures. This is Dr. Baron Lerner, okay, an internist and historian. And he sounds like a historian, right? Because he's going back into history to do things that probably should have never been done in the first place. But at least in 1923, they had an excuse. They didn't know better. But he's at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons. So if you're anywhere near Columbia University, just don't go see this doctor. Because he says, if a patient were to ask me, why are you listening to my heart today? He said, I couldn't say it's going to help me predict you will have a heart attack. Dr. Lerner is equally ambivalent about tests he skips. If you ask me, why don't you do a neurological exam every time? The answer is, well, I, because I don't. <laughs> this, please don't ever sign me up to be a patient of this man. He does it because that's what he was taught, even though he knows it's wrong. In what profession is that okay, right? I mean, if you were taught, if you're a plumber or an electrician and you're taught a certain way, and then we later find out that, oh my gosh, the way I'm doing it is, is not effective, there's a better way, or I don't even need to do that at all and charge you for it, wouldn't you really like it if your plumber or electrician said, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. Wouldn't you like it if your auto mechanic decided that, uh, or, or learned that he didn't need to change your oil every 3,000 miles, that it would be just as effective if he changed it every six? Wouldn't that be nice if he didn't take your money every 3,000? Just because, you know, that's what he was taught when he was ASA certified? Wouldn't that be a service that this doctor could provide to tell his patients, hey, guess what? Maybe put it out in a newsletter. You know, maybe have one of the staff call the, the patients and explain it to them. Maybe say, you know what, I'm going to save you some money because this is useless and potentially dangerous. But no, it's what I've been taught. It's what I've been taught. Oh, my heavens. And the, and the guy's name is Dr. Lerner. Well, he learned one thing, and I guess he's never going to unlearn it. So doing exams because it's tradition, why don't we go back to bloodletting? That was tradition, too. It just doesn't, oh my gosh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Am I the only one that thinks this is outrageous? $7 billion a year. You know, when we talk about how we have this broken healthcare system in America or whatever, and we have the fight between, you know, the Democrats with Obamacare and the Republicans with whatever they want to call theirs, and 
whether we should have universal medicine, whether it's a right or a privilege or whatever, I always go back to, let's ignore all those things. None of that stuff matters until we actually fix medicine in this country. Quit spending $7 billion a year on useless physicals that are actually creating more costs above and beyond the $7 billion that are taking away productivity from American citizens who could be at work and instead are taking time off to go to their doctor and taking time from the doctor who could be spending more time with his patients that are actually sick, that might actually need his or her services. Maybe we should focus on that. Oh, okay, I'm just going to give you a little bit more on this, and then I'm going to breathe, and we're going to get into the next topic. I still listen to everyone's heart, said Dr. Stuart Rogers, an internist at Moses Cone Hospital in Greensboro, North Carolina. Why pick that fight? Why try to explain 10 years of evidence-based medicine so the patient will understand why I didn't do the test? The reason to listen to hearts is that it establishes our priestly majesty when we tell them about smoke alarms. Does he sound like someone that can even be trusted? Dr. Stuart Rogers? I mean, hopefully he's retired. This was 15 years ago. But does he sound like someone who can be trusted when he says in this article, it, it establishes our priestly majesty when you tell them about smoke alarms? First off, I, I don't ever want my doctor to mention a smoke alarm, ever. Unless he says, my alarm was going off all night and that's why I'm yawning while we're talking. That, that might be okay. If you use it as an excuse, I'm good with that. But otherwise, get out of my bedroom and my bathroom and whatever other room I'm supposed to have a smoke alarm in and do your job as a doctor. Take care of my medicine. Okay? Now, that's the first thing. But that statement, establishing our priestly majesty... As said, as like a joke, but isn't there so much truth to it that people put these doctors on a pedestal because they went to medical school? And then guys like Dr. Lerner, they just do what they were taught, even if they know it's wrong. There are bigger issues in modern medicine than the annual physical. But by looking at the annual physical a little more closely and recognizing that we've known now for 30 years that it's useless, and yet it really hasn't changed. In fact, it hasn't changed to the point where Global Atlantic sends me a letter saying they're going to reward me by reducing my premiums if I go get physicals often enough. That's the rant. Okay, when I come back, I'm going to talk about minerals. The third item on the Vital Five, this is episode three of the Vital Five series, we're going to talk about minerals and why minerals are so important, why we're deficient in them, which ones are maybe, or I'm going to say in this case, which one I'm the most concerned about and how I just learned studying for this show even more how critical this particular mineral, magnesium, is for preventing heart disease. I would dare say far more critical than going on a statin drug. That's what we'll discuss when we come back. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. Vitality Nutrition has been serving Utah for over 40 years and Vitality Radio listeners for over a decade. Now we are here to serve you, the Vitality Radio podcast listener. If you have questions about what you have heard on the podcast, give us a call at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email at info at vitalityradiopod.com. We will give you the same great service we have been supplying for years to our local audience. At Vitality Nutrition, we do it old school. We like to talk to you and answer your health questions one-on-one. -on -one. So call us, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662 or email us at info at vitalityradiopod.com. The primary topic today is the Vital Five. The Vital Five number three item is minerals. And I'm going to put a heavy focus on magnesium because magnesium is that mineral that uh, is so 
incredibly critical. It's an electrolyte. Yeah, 99% of it is in our skeletal tissue, but 1% is found in the, in the blood and uh, the fluids of the body. And because only 1% is found there, it's hard to actually be diagnosed as deficient. But people on my side of the table, the alternative medicine, preventative medicine side of things, tend to feel, and I certainly agree with those people, that magnesium deficiency is very, very high. And what I was so excited about as I was preparing for this show this week is I found an article. The National Institutes of Health published this article. It has 233 references, and it was published just this year, 2018, and it's beautiful. Because it talks about what's called a subclinical deficiency. In other words, deficiencies that aren't really detectable by typical, you know, blood tests or urine analysis or something like that. And they the potential for problems with magnesium subclinical deficiency. And there's a lot of information here. The biggest thing being basically that it is believed now that the vast majority of Americans need at least 300 milligrams of supplemental magnesium to get to an optimal level. At least 300, and in many cases, as much as 600. Supplemental magnesium. Now, when I talk about the Vital 5, I talk about five supplements that I think just about everybody can benefit from, and magnesium specifically, but also the other trace minerals, and I'll talk about kind of the differences as I go a little further into this are one of those things because we simply can't get it like we used to. A couple episodes ago, I talked about us in America uh, being dirt poor, meaning that the dirt, our actual soil that we grow our crops on is poor. It's very, very deficient compared to what it used to be. There's a, gra- a steady decline, a reliable decline in nutrition in our in our uh, soil, and therefore there's a reliable decline in nutrition in our bodies uh, from the food that we eat from the soil that is depleted of minerals. There's there's really only one um, primary source of minerals, and that is our food, and our food is very deficient. So magnesium in particular is becoming very deficient, and one of the reasons for that is because it's a huge stress nutrient, and our stress levels are way up as well. But another reason for that is because we are somewhat calcium toxic in our society. Another article I was reading prepping for the show, and I'm going to bring this to you in full in the next uh, month or two because it was also fascinating. It's something I've always believed. Well, maybe not always, but for years have believed, and now there's even more evidence of it. But that is that we're recommending way too much calcium in this country. Doctors are recommending still 12 to 1500 milligrams of calcium supplementally for their osteoporotic uh, patients. And yet there now are studies that are showing that that is probably uh, going to lead to more hip fractures, not less, that the optimal dose seems to be closer to six or 700 milligrams a day and not 12 to 1500. And that's not supplementally, that's total calcium. Which means in many cases, and I would dare say in most cases, calcium supplementation is not necessary in Americans. And yet we are supplementing it like crazy. We're getting a ton of it in our food. It's fortified uh, in so many places. One thing that drives me nuts is that milk naturally contains a lot, you know, cow's milk naturally contains a lot of calcium. But now we're fortifying almond milk and soy milk and rice milk with calcium because People are so worried, oh my gosh, I'm going to go off of milk and I'm going to have osteoporosis. It's just not true. It's just not true. But one thing that does happen when we get so much calcium is that the body has to balance it with magnesium. And if we're deficient in magnesium and not supplementing that, which the vast majority of us are not, then we're in trouble. Then we get at least subclinical, if not clinical, deficiencies in magnesium. So that's why it's a problem. Now, who is deficient? Well, we know for sure that most Americans, based on this research article that, again, referenced 233 different studies, that most of us in America are deficient, but 84% specifically of postmenopausal women, people with type 2 diabetes are almost all deficient in magnesium as well. But I'm going to save one of the best and scariest for last, and we're going to talk about it, is heart disease. 
People with heart disease, people who die of heart disease, are woefully deficient in magnesium. And who dies of heart disease? About half of us. Most Americans are dying of heart disease. And so we have to wonder if there's a nutrient that we require, that we are required to have in our body, and we don't have enough, those of us who are dying of heart disease don't have enough, how important is it in preventing heart disease? We're going to talk about that. Okay, so let's talk about the basic, what they consider less severe signs of magnesium deficiency. And that is, this is based all on that article that referenced 233 other articles that have been written on the research about subclinical magnesium deficiency, no, meaning magnesium deficiency your doctor's never going to see in the routine tests that they're doing, or even in more aggressive tests, it's hard to find. Aggression, <clears throat> anxiety, confusion, cramps, one of the biggest, biggest ones, cramps. I'll tell you about eight out of 10 times you get enough magnesium, you don't cramp anymore. Disorientation, uh, hyperreflexia, irritability, muscular weakness, neuromuscular irritability, pain, photosensitivity, spasticity, uh, tinnitus. That's an interesting one I'd never heard before. People come in for that all the time and it's not easy to treat. I'll have to look and see how magnesium um, uh, pops up or, or, or uh, how people behave with magnesium if they have tinnitus. Maybe it's a, a thing that I didn't know about. Tremors, vertigo. Uh, those are the big uh, minor issues. Okay, How about the severe signs of magnesium deficiency? Heart arrhythmias. Uh, calcifications of the soft tissue, cataracts, convulsions, coronary artery disease, depressed immune response, depression, hearing loss, heart failure, hypertension or high blood pressure, migraines and headaches, mitral valve prolapse, osteoporosis, parathyroid hormone resistance, psychotic behavior, seizures, sudden cardiac death, and tachycardia. Those are pretty severe, right? So here's the conclusion of what is a fascinating article. I read every word, and it's amazing. In fact, I think I'm going to post a link to it on our Facebook page, Vitality Radio slash Facebook. But check this out. Subclinical magnesium deficiency is a common and under-recognized problem throughout the world. Importantly, subclinical magnesium deficiency does not manifest as clinically apparent symptoms and thus is not easily recognized by the clinician. Despite this fact, subclinical magnesium deficiency likely leads to hypertension, arrhythmias, arterial calcifications, arthrosclerosis, heart failure, and an increased risk of thrombo thrombosis. This suggests that subclinical magnesium deficiency is a principal yet under-recognized driver of cardiovascular disease. Now, I want to restate that again. This suggests that subclinical magnesium deficiency is a principal driver of cardiovascular disease. A greater public health effort is needed to inform both the patient and clinician about the prevalence, harms, and diagnosis of subclinical magnesium deficiency. So, heart disease is killing about half of us. Uh, the last I read, a little more than half. Number one cause of death in America. And now, this study, based on 233 other studies, is showing that Magnesium deficiency is a primary driver in this problem. So that's one of the reasons why magnesium supplementation is a no-brainer and absolutely part of my Vital 5. In fact, I tell people this on a regular basis. If you come into me at Vitality and you say to, to me, Jared, I'm only going to take one supplement, just one, and I'm not going to tell you anything about my health picture. In fact, if I can't see you, if it's over the phone, so I have no indication of, you know, what your weight looks like or any of those types of things, and you say, I'm going to take one supplement, what would you recommend? It would be a supplement containing magnesium. Specifically, a trace mineral supplement that not only contains magnesium, but also the other trace minerals. And the reason for that is that I know you're deficient in minerals. I know you are because you're an American and you eat food grown on this soil. 
And even if you eat really clean organic food, non-genetically modified food, the depletion is still deep, not as deep, not as bad, but it's deep and the stress level is high and magnesium deficiency is everywhere. And I'll tell you what, I feel better when I supplement magnesium. Absolutely, I feel better when I supplement magnesium. It's another reason that's a no-brainer. My favorite source for most people, but not everybody, is a product called Concentrate Trace Minerals. It's a liquid mineral. It comes from the Great Salt Lake of all places. Unfortunately, it tastes a little bit like the Great Salt Lake, and that stinks. But if you dilute it enough, you don't really notice it too much, and we sell an awful lot of it, so I know most people figure out ways to get it in does come in a tablet, but the liquid's a lot better way to do it, in my opinion. Anyway, Concentrase is amazing because it's an excellent source of what's called ionic magnesium, one of the most bioavailable forms, because it doesn't have a bond. Your body doesn't have to really break it away from anything. It can just absorb it, and it works really, really well. And then you get all the other 71 trace minerals in there as well. So all that is great. And one of the reasons I say it's a no-brainer is because it costs you about 8 bucks a month little less than that to do all the magnesium you'd need in many cases a lot less than that because I only need 25 drops a day give or take if you need 40 drops a day it's going to cost you less than eight bucks a month so very small price to pay for something that could stave off heart disease but what are the things uh, what are some of the other things about magnesium that are, are interesting well oh actually let me uh, let me go backwards a little bit I talked about concentrates, but I want to tell you about some of the other options because some people either don't want the taste of the concentrates, which I can understand, or they're specifically looking for magnesium or they want to give it to their kids. And uh, that all, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to do it differently. If you're wanting a capsule or a tablet, what you want is you want magnesium glycinate. Magnesium glycinate is a bonded magnesium, bonded to, to glycine, which is an amino acid. That transports the magnesium so that at the cellular level, it's much more easily absorbed. And that particular form works really, really well. The type of magnesium you really want to stay away from is magnesium oxide unless you are constipated. Magnesium oxide in cases of constipation can be very effective because your body absorbs very little of it and most is pushed through the bowel. But that being said, and this is a big thing, Optimally, we're still taking a better form of magnesium, potentially a little bit more if we're constipated because that is one of the primary signs of magnesium deficiency is constipation. So I love the glycinate. And then another one that a lot of people like, especially if they're giving it to kids or people that don't like to swallow pills, um, is a powder, a magnesium citrate powder. And there's a variety of different options. You may have heard of natural calm. A lot of people love that one. Uh, but actually, I like one called magnesium serene, even a little bit better. But there's some great ones. We have different options at Vitality if you want to test them out. We even have samples of the powders. I think we can let you try out if you want to do that. And samples of concentrate drops as well. So come ask us about those. But those are some of the options. And the magnesium that's in the vast majority of grocery stores, uh, is oxide and unless you're constipated that's not the kind you want so what are the most common benefits that I actually hear from real people coming into vitality saying wow this is what's happened since I've been on magnesium I already mentioned it reduced or eliminated constipation across the board the first thing that I tell people if they're constipated is you got to get on magnesium or concentrate mineral drops and Start there and see what that does and then decide if you also need something else, you know, whether it be fiber or uh, some sort of herb to help move things along. But always start with magnesium because in many cases it fixes the problem. Leg cramps or spasms. If I have a client come to me and say, yeah, I get leg cramps on a regular basis, I smile because eight, nine out of ten times, I know exactly how to solve that. Just fill the deficiency that's causing the muscle to cramp. Interestingly enough, I talked about extra calcium, too much calcium, right? When you have too much calcium, which I believe most Americans do, calcium is required for muscles to contract. Magnesium is required for muscles to relax. And so if you have plenty of calcium and not enough magnesium, the muscle is going to sometimes spontaneously contract and not just contract, but contract in such a way that it can't relax 
therefore a cramp, right? Or you're going to have minor spasms, um, restless leg is a thing that I've found magnesium can be very, very helpful for as well. What if you have insomnia? What if you have a hard time sleeping? Magnesium can be fantastic for that. Not always the answer but often the answer or part of the answer. Increased flexibility because if your muscles can relax, if the nerves can relax, if all that stuff can relax, then of course you're gonna be able to uh, flex around a little bit better. Maybe enjoy your yoga class a little more than you normally would, right? Reduced headaches and migraines. I hear that a lot with magnesium. In fact, I've had more and more people over the years since I get them on concentrate drops that will come back and say, I don't get headaches anymore. Those little uh, tension headaches that used to drive me crazy. I don't get them. I hear that a lot. Improved blood pressure, meaning lowered blood pressure or balanced blood pressure. Uh, it's a big deal because relaxation is key to lowering blood pressure. It's one of the reasons that stress creates more blood pressure. Uh, well, it's because when we're stressed, things constrict more. Magnesium helps things to relax more. Pretty easy. Reduced anxiety. If you're anxious, if you're stressed, especially women, if you are experiencing more cramps, uh, more bloating, and more irritability during that time of month and more pain, specifically with your period, magnesium is fantastic for that. A woman needs more magnesium at that time of the month than any other time because of what's happening in the body during the female menstrual cycle. And so magnesium is an absolute godsend for a lot of people, a lot of women in that uh, situation. Uh, if you're having a very painful, unhappy, crampy period, you've got to give magnesium a try as well. So yes, so many things that it can do. And another one that's fantastic, if you've got a child or if sometimes you behave like one, like I tend to do, when it comes to kind of hyperactivity, kind of being all over the place, oh, magnesium calms that down for a lot of people as well. It is such a big deal. It is incredibly common. It is something that we have to put a higher focus on because now, unbeknownst to me, while I knew there were benefits for the heart, I never knew that there is enough evidence medically in terms of actual cl clinical scientific research that shows that magnesium from 233 different studies that shows that magnesium is a primary or magnesium deficiency sorry is a primary driver in heart disease in this country that's huge absolutely huge and one of the reasons that I tell just a stronger reason that, that I tell people start there it's a critical place we're all deficient you got to start there. Now, what if you want, what if you take magnesium, you've tried magnesium and it gives you a laxative effect. It's just too strong and you can't get enough magnesium to give you the benefit without giving the laxative effect, which is, does happen with magnesium. The first thing is try a magnesium that's more bioavailable. Get away from magnesium oxide and get into magnesium, at least citrate, but preferably glycinate or the concentrates mineral drops that I love. But if you can't do it still, and you need more magnesium or you're convinced that a lot of these symptoms that you're having are magnesium deficiency, guess what? You can rub it on. Magnesium oil and magnesium lotion are very effective ways to get magnesium into the skin rather than into the digestive tract, into the bloodstream directly so it can go where it needs to go. In fact, it's a fantastic spot treatment for, you know, aches and pains and especially tight, stiff, sore, those types of things. If your muscles are contracted, if you get muscle cramps, if you get, uh, you wake up with that kink in your neck or, uh, you know, whatever it needs to be kind of rubbed out, you're exercising, your muscles are, are sore and tired after exercise. Magnesium is fantastic as a topical. Uh, so uh, definitely give that a shot. There are so many different options now with magnesium because it is such a big issue that I can guarantee you will find something that will make a difference for you. And this is one that isn't, you know, just for people 30 and over or 50 and over or 60 or whatever. This is something that just about across the board we need help with. And if you've got a baby who can't poop, that's a fairly common thing with babies. You got to get them on magnesium. You don't need much, but just a little bit, but magnesium will help. If you are an adult who has a hard time with that, you got to be on magnesium. I'm going to keep beating that drum. So I've been talking about the Vital Five. 
I started off with multivitamins and I went into some detail about how um, we don't want to buy those store-bought one-a-day vitamins. It's not because I don't sell them. It's because if I could or if I uh, had call form or whatever, I wouldn't sell them because they are just trash. And that's not the case with all supplements at other uh, at mass market. There are decent supplements at mass market in many cases. But when it comes to multivitamins, that is not the case. Stay away. You're not only wasting your money, but in my opinion, actually causing more harm than good. Much like I talked about with the annual physical. Then I talked about digestive enzymes. If you're dealing with gassiness, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, um, any of those types of things, sluggishness, acid reflux, digestive enzymes are huge, 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 huge. One of my other big favorites. I mentioned on that show that digestive enzymes are the one thing that I never go without. I mean, every day it's a it's a thing that I use because I can tell a big difference and that's true. But the other thing that I almost never go without. I travel with a little tiny bottle of it. I have one in my car. I have one in my desk at, at, the, at uh, Vitality. I have one at home on the kitchen counter. I, ha- I have one in my uh, toiletry bag for when I travel. These little bottles of concentrates minerals because I don't want to be without them. Everything works better. I poop better. I sleep better. I feel better. And that's all there is to it. You get enough of those minerals, then you feel better. They are really, really amazing. In fact, I would suggest you take the challenge. Uh, Come get a sample bottle if you want to just test them out for a week or so, or uh, give it a shot for a month and uh, see what happens. And if you don't like what you feel uh, being on magnesium, talk to me and we will make sure that we make it right. Okay, so I've got to wrap up the show here. And I just want to say one more time, it's been an amazing year. We're coming to the close of 2018. This is the last show of 2018. I think next week I am really going to talk about what I learned in 2018 because there's some fascinating stuff. But it also is now been almost two months since I celebrated the 10th anniversary of Vitality Radio being on the air in Utah. And now we're just about ready to launch it as a podcast. And I'm so excited for that. And I'm so grateful to you. Anybody that listens to this show, even if it's for five or ten minutes on a Saturday and uh, is, is willing to listen to my voice and listen to my passion about these things, I appreciate very much. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. Thank you so much. You're listening to me, Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.